brand new series today called Jesus Is. And if you're a guest here, I want to say we are so glad you're here today at the front end of the movie, okay? Don't you like to get there when the movie starts? I hate it when you get there late. You know what I mean? When a couple minutes in, you miss that, you miss that tension point, right? Well, you're here for the very beginning of the movie, and I want to welcome people online, too. Turn around and say hi to everybody online. we got some sick people at home. We're sorry you're sick, but we're glad you can be with us online. And we got some people in Northern California that tune in with us. And, uh, but you're here in the room. And uh, I want to tell you about our series that we're doing today. Uh, this series is so, so important for us as a church. And you know, everything we do, you know what the TNT of Christianity is? Not the TV station. I mean the explosive power of Christianity. You know what it is? It's Jesus. But here's the problem. Too often, we don't know who Jesus is. And we rely upon our previous experiences that we've had, you know, background, our church experience, uh, our religious experience, our preconceived ideas. Do you know what one of the most powerful tools we have in our society today? Are reviews by consumers. Before you buy something online, don't, if you're a good, don't you check the reviews? I do this. I check the reviews. And I say, okay, so how did this person rate, you know, they give it one star, five stars, and you, you always want to get something that has five stars, right? And good reviews, right? Here's the problem with reviews. What if that person had a bad experience? What if you rated your review of Jesus based on somebody's bad, misguided experience, and you miss Jesus? Wouldn't that be terrible? See, that's why it's so important for us today to do this series, and it's going to be six parts. I, I hope you won't miss one, okay, because this could change everything in your life. See, because the way we understand Jesus helps us understand who God is, helps us understand who we are, and also it affects the relationships that we have with people around us. It's huge. And so if you get Jesus, you get God, and you get yourself. You get to understand yourself, and you get to have better relationships with other people. So that's why this series is so, so important, and I'm so fired up about it. And uh, I hope that you can just put all your bad, con you know, preconceived idea ideas and your experiences aside. Don't let anyone determine your faith. Find your own pure faith. This is who we are. This is our vision statement as a church. We as a church want to love God, live change, and light the way. But it's kind of hard to light the way if you don't have light, right? I mean, you're just like everybody else in the dark. And I, I hope today that you as a member of our church can get some light today. Now, when you turn the light on, you see some things, right? And some of those things you might not like, but the good thing about it is when you see it, you can change it. Okay? And so, are you ready to go? All right, here we go. Part one of Jesus is. Today we're going to look at, today we're going to look at, I appreciate the excitement back there, by the way. Okay? Appreciate the excitement. Today we're going to look at three portraits. Three beautiful, amazing 
portraits that Jesus paints for us. Three scenarios that define who God is and how he thinks, how he feels. See, and Jesus' ministry created a, a problem for people, a huge problem. Jesus is a holy man. He was powerful both in word and deed. I mean, he spoke and said things that people had never, ever heard before in their lives. They'd never even heard about it in the history. This was the first time that anybody had heard what Jesus was saying. They're like, what? And then the things he did blew people away. I mean, the miracles that Jesus did just blew people away. They're like, who is this guy? He's a holy man. And so people came to Jesus, and, and, and especially the religious people, like, oh, Jesus, Jesus. But there was a problem. See, Jesus hung around with sinful people. See, he hung around with thugs, prostitutes, extortionists. He hung around with some really bad people. And so the two things didn't connect. A holy man is hanging around and eating with these people. And so it was, there was huge tension. They were like, the religious people were like, why is he doing this? And so Jesus is in these three portraits, he's going to explain to us why he hangs around with bad people. It's the whole reason. And it's going to explain his ministry. And I believe this is a church. As Jesus is, so do we need to be, right? If you're a follower of Jesus. Now, if you're here as a guest, you just lean in and listen. And then you decide. But if those of us who, you know, are followers of Jesus, we, we've already decided, hey, I'm going to be with Jesus. Okay? So, so let's, let's pick it up here in, in the beginning. And, and, and just to start out, What's your worth? And I need a little audience participation. How do you determine your worth today in society? Anybody? Money. Number one, isn't that made? Boom. Money. Your bank account. Now, can it, is it possible for you to have a net worth in the negative? Ooh, yeah. You owe more than you have. But because you have a good job, or you're going to get a good job, right? Teens, good job. Your parents will be happy. Okay? College students, man, your parents are going to be really happy with you if you get a good job. Because then you could pay off all, and that's what, you get student loans. You know why you get student loans? Because they believe that your worth is going to come through in the end. You're going to get a job, and you're going to pay down that loan. And if you don't, they're going to come after you. But you're worth something. Okay, and one of the things that we know, okay, Worth, your car, your clothes, how you dress, how you look, your hairdo, everything. We, we basically advertise how our worth, right, don't we? And we try to put on a good image. But one of the things that we know is worth is what? Earned. You, you don't just get it. You got to earn it. Okay? And, and this is the way our society builds things. Everything is earned. And what happens out there, guess what it does in church? It comes into church, and guess what we start doing in church? We start thinking, well, if I want a good standing with God, guess what I got to do? I got to earn it, right? I got to be good. I got to stop swearing. I got to stop drinking. I got to stop doing all those bad things. I got to stop running around, and I got to be good if I want a good standing with God. 
And these people that were listening to Jesus who were the religious people, let me tell you, they were the best of the best as far as earning their good standing with God. They prayed for hours every day. They memorized the Bible. They memorized Scripture. They knew it backwards, forwards. They could recite it on an instant, upon request. And they did incredible things, righteous acts like fasting, like tithing. They made sure they gave exactly everything. Like, for example, you go and have lunch today, guess what they would do? They'd take that burger, that triple bacon burger, and they would cut off a tenth of that triple bacon burger, and they would set it aside for God. That's how, that's how intense they were about tithing. Everything had to be given apart to God. So they were in good standing. But yet these people who were low worth were hanging around with Jesus. So let's pick it up in Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around Jesus. Sounds just like church, doesn't it? Does this describe church? Look around. If you knew this was going on when you move your purse a little closer, you'd be checking your wallet, my phone, and, and looking around, checking who are these people. This isn't like church, is it? Maybe it needs to be. But this was Jesus' church. When Jesus gathered, guess who, guess who was there gathered with him? And this word, tax collectors and sinners, these tax collector people, they were the worst of the worst. As I said in the beginning, they made their living off of extortion. They were involved in organized crime. And they had an entourage of thugs around them. Okay? And these were people that had other friends who were drug lords, prostitutes. And I'm not talking about human trafficking, trafficking prostitutes. I'm talking about women who decided on their own, this is what I'm going to do. It's my decision. I'm going to make a living by selling my body for money because I want the money. This whole idea of sinners, see, all of us are sinners, right? But we don't know some of your sin, do we? Because we keep it a secret, Right? Don't tell anybody. I got some things on the side, but I'm here at church. These people, these people were known. It was out there. Sinners, when they said this word, sinners, it means they were known by everyone. Their sin was basically written in 3D. Okay, we know who they are and we know what they do. And it was offensive. It was offensive what these people were, and they were there listening to Jesus. So naturally, okay, you're coming as a religious person to church, and you're seeing all these thugs and prostitutes and extortionists and racketeers, and you're sitting there next to them in church, and you're going, what? What is this? What's going on? Would you feel comfortable? I mean, they carried, in our guns, they would be carrying guns. They'd have bodyguards. They'd be wearing sunglasses to church. And they would not smile at you. They would look mean at you. That's just how they, that's how they roll. Okay, so you're in church with these people. How would you feel about it? But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. This is a big deal. Why are you, Jesus, why are you associating with these people? See, because when you eat with them, it means you condone what they do. You associate yourself with them. 
Now, let me make it clear for you. You're married, and let's say the guys in the, in the room. You're married, and you have lunch with a prostitute at the corner cafe. What would people say? What would they think? You'd probably get some text message if somebody saw you to your wife and say, hey, guess what? I saw your husband eating lunch with, uh, or a woman, and you were having lunch with a player, okay? And it's obvious that he's a player. And the people at the, at the cafe know you, and they know, and they, so they're like, what are you doing eating with these people? That's what Jesus did. And so it was guilt by association. Jesus, you're associating with people. So Jesus explains why he's doing this. And why he's doing this is so important for us to understand because it's going to help you and I understand this whole worth concept. Okay? How God values things versus how we value things. So he starts out with these two parables, and we're just going to zoom through the first two, and then we're going to spend some time on the third one. The first two, we have, you got the first one. It is, and, and I like to call them three parallels. Parables doesn't quite do it. Parallels means this story exactly represents God and his kingdom. It's a parallel. How this story works is how God feels about things. It's parallel. Are you with me? First one is the lost sheep. This guy's got 100 sheep. For us, it would be like 100 cars because we see cars everywhere. Sheep were everywhere. Sheep were a part of life. He has 100 sheep. He loses one, and he freaks out. And he abandons the 99 to go after the one. Now, let's just put this in terms. If I had a hundo, that's a $100 bill for the older people. A hundo, and I lost $1, would I be upset? Would you be upset if you were a guy? Probably not. I got 99. It's okay. But if your wife came to you and said, you lost what? Where's the one, dude? No, but I got 99. It's just a dollar. It's not, I got 99. See, Jesus is saying, this shepherd, because for us, 99 is greater than one, Right? But Jesus is saying, uh-uh, one is greater than the 99. And then he tells another parable, if that's not enough. And this is crazy. He tells another parable about this woman who had 10 coins, and she loses one. And so she, like, throws the other nine and says, I got to find the one. I don't care about the other nine. I got to find the one. And when she finds it, just like the, the shepherd, she celebrates she calls all of her friends together and says, hey, hey, I found my coin. I'm so fired up. I'm so excited. Let's have a party. And, and Jesus finishes both parables. Verse 7, he says this. In verse 7, he goes on to, to share, verse 7, about the, the parable of the sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents over the 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. What's this tell you right here? God has a different value system than we do. His whole perception of worth 
is different than ours. Then let's jump down to the woman with 10 coins, verse 10. In the same way, see, he says it again, in the same way, parallel. I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels. I mean, in heaven, where the angels are, they're excited. They're throwing a party over what? Over one sinner who does what? Who repents. He changes the ways. And so Jesus is telling us how God is, how he is. And it's important for you because you need to understand that for your own because I know some of you, you're not feeling maybe your worth today. Especially some of your guests today, why did you come to church of all things today? Why would you go to church? Well, I got bribed into coming here. Okay, I understand that. But some of you are here today because you're going through some stuff. And you're here today because you're not feeling right. And Jesus is here to say, you're important to me. And then, and then he goes on to tell the, 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 the parallel of all parallels. The parallel, the parable of the prodigal son. This word prodigal, this word means wasteful, irresponsible, reckless, throwing away, literally, something of high value and worth. Now, my question to you, we're, this parable is called the prodigal son, but it's really about the prodigal dad. Okay, so let's jump into it. Again, Jesus is sharing with us why he hangs around with sinful people. Verse 11, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, give me my share of the estate. Now, right now, these people are super confused. If they were confused before, they're super confused now because Jesus is saying, I value one over 99, I value one over 10, and now this, this, this what he did, Right here, the son asking, the younger son asking his father for his share of the estate is scandalous. You never ask, imagine asking your parents, I want my inheritance now. I'm not even going to wait for you to die. In fact, I wish you were dead. Give me my money now. It's shameful what he was doing. And, and, in this culture that Jesus is talking, this kid, his father should have given him a beat down right here on the spot. Should have called the whole village. Okay, you want your share? I'll give you your share. We're going to get the whole village together and we're going to give you a beat down right here in the middle of the village so you learn your lesson. This is how it was in the culture. But look at what happens. Jesus shares this part so the dad divided his property between them. He did what? No, 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 wait, 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 Jesus. He did what? The dad divided the property before he died? That's unheard of. Yes, the older son gets two-thirds and the younger son gets one-third. And the younger son was probably a teenager, single guy, student, okay? 
Not married yet. Single guy. Would you give a single guy who's young a third of the inheritance? Would you do that? Who would do that? Nobody would do that. But this is here for a reason. God does this. God does this. This is insane. And so we, we read on, the son goes, and basically I'll summarize the story for you. He basically sells everything. He took the land, the cows, his third. He sold it all, cashed out had a lot of cash, and he moves to Amsterdam. If you're from Amsterdam, no offense, but it is what it is. Guess what? In Amsterdam, everything is legal. It's all legal. No rules. It's like Vegas, but a step up. And so he wouldn't have gone to Vegas because Vegas is just down the road. We're talking a distant land, somebody far away. He took all that money that his family, his grandparents, great-grandparents had accumulated, had worked for. He took that third, and he basically wasted it. And the Bible tells us he wasted it on women, wine, and song, and maybe some games. And as you know, in Amsterdam or in Vegas, you can take a whole lot of money and burned through it really quick. And as he burned through all the money, it was all gone, and guess what happens? At the exact same time, there's a famine. And that famine means there's no jobs, no food, and it's very, very difficult. And so he hires himself out to a pig farm. Now, I got some personal experience with this because I grew up in a city called Hogtown. Literally, you can, you can look it up on Google right here. And Hogtown is Gainesville, Florida. That's where I grew up. And when I was a young kid, there were still a lot of pig farms around. And so I got to experience what pig farms are like. And so this young son went and hired himself out and worked at a pig farm. Do you know what a pig farm is like? Do you have any idea what a pig farm? No, you do not know what a pig farm is like. Pigs eat slop, and they wallow in mud that is mixed with urine and poop. So they eat slop. Okay, I worked in a grocery store, and all the, all the produce and meat and everything that was thrown away, that was spoiled, they threw it in a dumpster. Guess who came and picked all that stuff up? Pig farmers. Spoiled food. Now, I got, to, I got firsthand experience, and, and, and if you get even close to a pig farm, the smell, it, it is so bad. It is so bad. It is so awful because you got stale food. They eat the food. Then they, they, they smell like the food, and then they poop in the, in the mud. They roll around in the mud, and it's just, it is the worst, worst, worst environment. And so if you're a pig farmer, and here's the worst of it all, you can get used to it. I never got used to it. I stayed away from the pig farm. And they still, in my hometown, they still have a festival. Every eight, eight, April, every April, they have a Hogtown Festival. I don't go to the Hogtown Festival. 
Okay, I'm out here, I'm out here in L.A. now. Okay, so imagine, this is where this kid is working now. He's gone from here to here, and he looks at the spoiled food, the pods that the pigs are eating, and it's nasty. And he's so hungry, he says, man, this food looks good. I want to eat this food. And he couldn't eat it. He wasn't allowed to eat the pig food. I mean, that's how bad it was. And so we pick it up in verse 17. When he came to the census, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and I'm here starving to death? So what does this say about his father's hired hands? How does, how does the dad treat his hired help? It treats him good. It's good food. And guess what? They got food to spare. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? So if I just work for my dad, forget about being a son because I've, I've, I've blown it. I, I, don't, I don't deserve it. Here I am starving to death. I'm about to die. So he comes up with this plan. In verse 18, he says, I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, he's got a speech. He prepares a speech. It's a weak speech. I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer... I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, let's stop here. Worthy to be called your son. What makes you a son? How do you become worthy to be a son? How do you become a son? Birth. Since when do you earn? Your worth comes from birth. You can't earn it, can you? And so... But the reason why he's saying this is, I'm no longer worthy. I'm so ashamed of what I've done that my worth is what? Zero. I have zero worth in your eyes, Dad. And I can't be your son anymore because I've done a horrific thing. So make me like one of your hired servants so that I can do what? Earn my worth. See, let me do some things around the farm so I can prove to you my worth. In other words, earn a wage. So it's a pretty good plan. So he's on his way. And we pick it up in verse 20. So he got up and went to his father. Coming home from Amsterdam. Now you got to think about what he smells like, what he looks like, and just everything about him. He smells like sin. He smells like pigs. He's nasty, okay? It's a nasty job to work with pigs. He's nasty. Okay, you ready? But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. How did the dad see him? It basically describes a dad that's waiting for his son. The dad basically stood out in front of the village, the village gate, and waited every day for his son to come home. So the day that he came home, he saw him. He waited. Now, this is shameful. Again, this is shameful behavior. No, no father of dignity sits out in the front of the village every single day waiting for a, a misbehaved, spoiled, wasteful, immoral 
son. But this one did. Let me, let me tell you something about God if you're a guest here today. God's been waiting for you. Whether you know it or not, he's been waiting for you. He's been waiting for you to come home. And you think he's mad at you. I mean, this dad should be mad, but he's not. And, and we read on, look what it says. He says he was filled with compassion. I mean, his compassion was just flowing, and he ran. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. Whoa, 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 whoa. Kissed him, hugged him, wrapped his arms. Do you know what that smelled like? It was disgusting. Would you hug poop, smelling, urine? Would you, would you hug that and, and then mm, kiss it? Would you? You wouldn't do that. Is he worried about any of that, the dad? Is he worried about the smell, the dirt, the slime? The, what's he worried about? It says he ran. Have you ever seen the grace of God run? Do you know the grace of God runs? And some of you think, well, I came to God. No, you didn't. God's been coming for you and running to you for your whole life. He's been chasing you over and over again. And you think you came to God. You didn't come to God. He's been chasing you. He's been running after you. And he kissed him. And, and it goes on. And the son said to him, Father, and he goes into his speech, right? He's got it there memorized. He said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And there's a little more, right? Make me like one of your hired hands. But guess what happens? The father doesn't even let him finish, doesn't let him finish the speech. He cuts him off. But the father said to his servants, hey, come on, quick. Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. This makes absolutely no sense. He did what? Now, he didn't even get done with his confession. He cut him off. And he's going to give him the best. Why not just give him some old clothes, some of the stuff that's left around? Some of the, you know, the, the giveaway, goodwill stuff. Let's get the old stuff out. And then the worst of it all is he says, I'm going to give him the best and put it on him, and I'm going to put a ring on him. Do you know what the ring means? Do you know what the ring means? The ring means you're back in the family. A ring was an insignia. It basically meant that you have power. You're an heir to the dad. Wait a second. Time out. Where's the repentance? Where's the proof of change? Is he broken? Where's the, where's the restoration studies? Seriously. What if he does it again? You're going to put a ring on him and you're going to do all this. You're going you're to do this. What if he turns around and does it again? I mean, after he's a teenager, brain is not fully developed yet. 
And you're going to give them all that? I mean, this is, this is crazy. Now, let me, just, let me just tell you. What this dad is doing is shameful. If the village around him saw this, heard about this, this was shameful that the dad did this. I mean, it's really bad. And I got a question for you. We're going to read on. Verse 23, he says, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and, and he's found. So they began to do what? They had a party. That means DJ. That means lights. That means let's get everybody together. Let's spare no expense. We're going to have a party. And, and we're going we're gonna to look at the next verse. It, it says, when the older son comes, we see this. Meanwhile, the older son, and we'll get to him in a minute, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and what? Woo! There was dancing, right? There was dancing, right? There was some salsa, you know? There was some salsa going on, right? Hey, who was in the middle of the dance floor? Who was in the middle? Now, I, wanna, I want you to do your own Bible study. How long did it take from the hug to the dance floor? How long? Same day? I'll give you a couple of hours. It was immediate. Why is this son, this misbehaving, awful, good-for-nothing son dancing? Why are they playing music? If you were to walk up to him and say, hey, what, what are you doing? Dude, I'm just, I'm just dancing, okay? I'm, I'm dancing, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm with it. I'm dancing. Why are you dancing? You should be ashamed of yourself. You do not deserve to dance after all you've did, done. There's one reason why he was dancing. One reason. Do you know why? Because his father still loved him. After all that, would you dance? Oh my gosh, would I dance after all this? Why aren't you still dancing? Brother, sister, you're, you're not dancing anymore. You used to dance, but you're not dancing anymore. Why did you stop? Oh, I get it. It's because you messed up, right? You messed up. You made some mistakes. You've, you've sinned. You've, you've hurt your father and others deeply. Yeah, but does that change anything? Does it change how your father feels about you? This is Jesus' point. I know these people out here, these, these prostitutes and these sinners and these people that are doing very bad things, they're hurting people. I know it. But I still love them. 
I haven't stopped loving them, which means he hasn't stopped loving you. Isn't that, isn't that something to dance about? But why aren't you dancing anymore? Can you please repent today and start dancing? Okay? Armando, can we get some dance music at the end of service? Please, can you hook that up while I'm finishing here? Can you take care of that for me? Because I want to see some dancing at church. Okay? But for the right reasons. Not to show you got the moves, which you know I don't, but to show that you're excited and you're happy and you're fired up about the fact that the Father loves you. Now, so he called one of the servants and he asked him, this older brother now, what, what, what's going on here? What, what's the deal? Why, why are we having a party? And I wasn't invited. Where was he? He was working. That's what he did every day. I work. Look what he says. The explanation of why there's dancing and music. Your brother, you remember the one that we forgot about, that we disowned, that we wrote off, that I wrote off? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Now, the older brother became angry and, conf and refused to go in. Now, let me just say this about the older brother. A lot of people want to preach about the older brother against him. He's the only one that had any sense at all in the whole story. He's the only one that made sense. He's the only one that's logical in this whole story. The, the, Jesus is crazy. This parable about the, the sheep and the, and, the, and the one and the hundred. And Jesus is crazy. The pearls, the lady's crazy. The dad is crazy. Everybody's crazy except the older brother. He's the only one that makes sense. Because there's, this kid has no business being at a party. There needs, there's no reason. Why would you reward him for his terrible behavior? Why would you do that? Do you realize the example that you're setting for the whole community? He's the only one that makes sense. So the father went out to him. Again, who takes the initiative? And he pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and you never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. No parties. Did he ever ask for a party? Did he have a, hold on, did he have a reason to have a party? I don't think so. Do you have a reason to have a party? Why aren't you partying? See, he had a reason, and this older brother didn't have a reason because there was no love celebration. He was just disconnected as the, older, the younger son. But when this son of yours who has squandered your wealth, this makes complete sense, when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes has come home, you kill the fattened calf, this is scandalous, and I'm calling you out. This is wrong what you're doing. Let me just tell you this. Jesus is making a point here. 
it's wrong what God does with people. Let me say it again. It's wrong what God does with people. Let that sink in. Well, what? God is wrong? No, 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 no. God is right. But you and I and the way we think are wrong. See, God loves people so much. He loves them so much that he's willing to take a risk on bringing them back. A huge risk. My son, and this is a father, he's sharing his heart. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. Everything. Remember, you got the two-thirds, son. You got it all. But we had to celebrate. We got to celebrate. because, And we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and now he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. We had to have a party. Don't you get it? We got him back. And now, here's the deal. Now we can work on helping him change. See, people don't change out there. They change in here. They change with love. They change with seeing a good example. They change because they get filled with the Holy Spirit, and God's Spirit helps them to change. If we're waiting for people to change before we let them in, here's the crazy thing. They let me into this church a week and a half after I had left the pig farm. Do you realize that? I went from the pig farm to the party in a week and a half. I grew up in Hogtown, and it was called that for a reason. Number one party school in the nation. The University of Florida. It's fallen from that category. I think there's some other universities that are, let me just tell you, I was involved in some really, really bad, dark stuff. But I hit rock bottom. You see, I sat there and I said, what am I doing? I don't want to be this person anymore. I don't want to live like this anymore. I'm tired. I want to change. I want to be close to God. I want to be close to my Father because I'm running around, but my, my soul and my life is empty. I can't keep relationships because I keep breaking up with this woman and this woman and this woman over and over again because I'm so selfish and so prideful. All we do is fight. I can't keep relationships. And, and this thing here, everything I have is yours. Let me ask you a question. What is the most valuable thing his father had? Anything? What? His children. What, what's the most valuable thing the father had? Boom. Say it again. Grace. You know what the most, the most valuable thing that God has to offer you? 
If he gave you a million dollars, you could burn through it in a month. Seriously. But if he gives you grace, that means you're forgiven a lot. You know what I need? I need grace. I need a lot of grace. And this is the most valuable thing that God gives me, and it's the most valuable. And he says, all I have is yours, everything. Oh, I want all of that, God. I want all of that. So let's break it down. What are some of the evidences of the grace of God? What are, what are some of the evidences of the grace of God? I need a microphone. Let me, let me show you what the grace of God looks like. Okay, you ready? This is what the grace of God looks like. Okay? Grace of God is like an umbrella. And this umbrella is cloaked, cloaked in forgiveness. So much forgiveness. I'm underneath this, this grace, and I, I lost one of my, my forgiveness cards. And I don't want to lose any of it because I need it all. I need it all, okay? I need every bit of grace and forgiveness. Give it to me, Lord. Give it to me. See, I got all this grace. And, and this, 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 this umbrella of grace is red because it means there was a price paid for my grace. And that price was paid by the blood of Jesus. See, it's covered in Jesus' blood. And I'm covered by his grace. And everywhere I turn, everywhere I look, there's forgiveness. You say, well, you may abuse that forgiveness. No. See, because I value this forgiveness. This forgiveness has changed me. And now I value a relationship. But, but I want you to imagine, what if I'm under this umbrella and I... I uh, I'm walking under this umbrella, and, and, and rain is coming down, and rain, rain basically means the, the sin that's constantly falling down, but I'm protected from sin because of the umbrella and because of God's grace. But I want you to imagine this, okay? I want you to imagine this. I got all this grace, and yet I got a, I got a bone to pick. I got a bone to pick with a brother, You know, Vince, could you come here a minute? You know, Vince, I got I to gotta talk to you. Do you know what you've done to me? Do you know how you've offended me? Do you know how you've hurt me by the things that you did? Do you realize what you've done? Do, do, you, do you not understand what you're doing to me, what do you have to say for yourself? Sorry. Sorry? I mean, really? This, this thing's getting in my way. I mean, sorry? You're sorry? Is that it? I mean, do you realize what you've put me through? Sorry. You know what? I don't think you're sorry. I think you need to go over there and sit and think about what you've done. Okay, and we'll, we'll talk later, all right? See, he doesn't get it. 
Now, how does, it, how does that look? How does that look? Are you offended? It's offensive, isn't it? I'm, I'm, I'm showered in grace, yet, right? So, can we have a talk, family? Because I think this is some of the stuff that's going on. You know what I'm talking about? This is your life. You, you are under this. You, you, have, you have God's forgiveness and grace over you, overshadowing you. you. You are covered in his grace, and yet you do not display See, because Jesus, Jesus is full of grace, scandalous grace. And yet, you have a hard time lifting a finger to forgive your brother or your sister or your friend or your neighbor or a relative. I mean, look what's covering you. You have it all around you. And look at this passage. Look, look at this passage, just so we're clear on, on this, on this. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not from yourselves. You didn't get this. You didn't earn this. You don't deserve this. You're not worth this. You know what your worth is? And this is not from yourselves. It's a what? Say it with me. It's a... Can you earn a gift? free. And it's not about deserve, not by works. You can't earn it. You can't be worthy of it. So no one can do what? No one can boast. So let's, let's talk about this. Evidence of his grace. There's some brothers and sisters in our church. Can, can I talk? Can I be honest? We're a family. Here's what's going on in our church with some of our marriages. Some, not all, just a few. They don't talk to each other for a few days. Do you know why? Because she offended me, so I'm giving her the silent treatment. He offended me, so I don't talk to him anymore. And so in order for you to go there, guess what you have to do? Because this doesn't work in that environment. Well, I don't talk to him anymore because he offended me. He is a brute beast. He's insensitive. He doesn't understand what he does, so I'm done. Oh, you're done. You're done. Really? Is God done with you? Has he given up on you? Did he cut you off? And then we got family. We got family that we don't talk to. This is so common in the world. On both sides of my family, my wife's side and on my side, we got family members I haven't seen or talked to in 10 to 15, 20 years. And you know why I don't talk to them? Because they won't talk to us. They cut me, they cut us off. We've tried. We call, 
cut us off. That's on both sides. And let me tell you, that's not new. It goes on a lot. It goes on a lot. Some of you don't meet with your families, your in-laws, because they've hurt your feelings or they do things that you don't like. Now, let me say this. That's what people in the world do. If you're a follower of Jesus, who should you be with? Here in the church, there's people that we can't be friends with anymore. Why? Because they hurt your feelings. Just like Vince. And so we cut them off. And, and it gets so bad, it gets so bad in the church that people leave the church. What? Yeah. They leave the church because they're offended. And, and understand this. Feelings are real. And it hurts. But if as, as a church, how do we treat people who leave? Do we shun them? Do we cut them off? Do we wait till they come back begging for forgiveness and then we let them back in? How do we treat them on the way out and on the way in? It hurts. It hurts when people leave, right? I'll give you that. I, I, I can't remember one person that left that I didn't feel bad about. In my last 30 years, all of them feel bad. And then friends and neighbors, I, I got to just tell you, some of you guys, it's shameful what you're doing. The way you're not talking to your family, the way you're not talking to friends, and you cut people off, what difference is there between you and somebody in the world? If Jesus has been scandalous with his grace with you, how can you not be scandalous with your grace? I don't get it. See, there's a parable in Matthew 18. Read about it later. It's called the unmerciful servant. It describes one servant who got forgiven of a six billion with a B dollar debt. Yet he went, when he got forgiven, he turned around and found his fellow servant who owed him $12,000. Now, $12,000 is a lot of money, but how does $12,000 compare to $6 billion? And he chokes the guy. Some of you are choking out friends, relatives, spouses. I'm just going to say it like Jesus said it. Read it. It's shameful. That is shameful in Jesus' church. Now, I understand it. I get it because I've seen it in my own life. I got to grow. See, because when I think about the, the scandalous grace of Jesus, I got to be the same. So today I want to call you to decision. Number one, to start dancing. Mm. Please start dancing. Forget about what church has happened. Take your focus off of church. Take your focus off of people. Focus on the love of God. And then you can focus on people and say, I forgive you. Where's Vince? Vince, come back. Come back. Come back. Vince, come back. Come back. Mm. Sorry, brother. Mm. 
Mm. Mm. So sorry I treated you that way. Would you do that with your brother? Will you do that with your brother? Just to end our lesson today and then we're going to take the communion. Jesus is scandalous grace. Scandalous. If you're a guest here today, you have no business being here. But you're right where God wants you to be. Because his love for you is scandalous. And he's going to love you and he's never going to give up on you and he's going to always want you back home. And this grace that we get changes us. So let's pray for the communion. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you so, so much for your grace. God, we know that people have hurt us and hurt is real. But God, we've hurt you so much more. Lord God, forgive us for the ways that we hurt you. And the way you forgive us, and, and, and God, I know it's not any easier for you to get over hurt because Jesus' death, the way he died, shows us how painful our sin is to you. Please help us, God, to go to you for forgiveness and to go to you to forgive others. I pray, God, that your grace will shower down on our church today, that your grace will shower down on our friends that are here today, God that they can know this one thing, that you are in love with them and you are running after them. Thank you, Father. We lift up Jesus right now. Thank you for this communion that reminds us of our worth, our value in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.